Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another edition of The Way With Noah. What's up, you guys? We are so close to this final push. I know this is maybe an episode some of y'all have been waiting for. Some of y'all might be like, eh, what's all that about? But you need to have an open mind and really listen to the truth bombs and the conversation that's about to unfold. I am really, really appreciated, appreciative of the people that I get to talk to. Um... And the people that get to be around of my own family, the amazing organizers and movement folk who have helped educate me over the past few years, even, right? Um, we're always in a, in a state and a place of learning and expanding. So voting, right? Voting is what everybody's talking about right now. You know, some folks are of the opinion that voting either doesn't matter or we should not be participating in this system because of you know, fill in the blank, the systemic oppression, the structural issues, the innate corruptness, the fact that it's a system that's not meant for us. And in many ways, I agree with that sentiment. I do have concern, though, with not engaging in the process at the local and state level where, you know, decisions are made that directly, immediately impact our lives, our communities, and our schools. And I posit that you know, of course, there's there's no one right strategy, right? And I'm never going to shame folks for taking and going the route that they go. And many people make very, you know, good arguments for their positions, including my own, one of my babas, my, my stepdad. You know, we've we've talked about this as well um, as a new African, as a um, Muslim. You know, some of his issues and concerns around the, the electoral process, but I. I posted a picture of my mom. I just landed in Oakland. I love being out here. Um, but I'm out here, part of my job, you know what I'm saying? I get to work with amazing, you know, candidates blazing trails and stuff. And so I'm thinking about people and how they're literally trying to shift um, the conditions that we're experiencing and no, it's not gonna liberate us. It is a part of a process if anything, it is an interim strategy to a longer strategy that we still, I would say, need to develop. But I posted a picture of my mom because my mom has got the Abrams bug. She's, you know, team Abrams. She's heard her speak. And, you know, I got some other young organizers who hit me up like, sis, you know, what are some of your thoughts and ideas on how we hold these electives accountable? So all of these different conversations have been converging and moving and like, you know, I, I'm just like, yeah, so so these two young ones, I'm, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not even trying to be dismissive with that. When I, I note their youngness only because they're so amazing and I appreciate their dialogue and I'm just in awe. So it's I, I do apologize. It's not in a derogatory way by noting their youngness. I'm just in awe and I look forward to how they expand and grow. Um, 
But Q, you know, Q and I chatted a few weeks ago and did drop the episode. This time I'm joined by Q and Deshaun. Deshaun has some of the most amazing writing I have seen. And both of them have, you know, room potential to grow as their own individual analytical selves. But I appreciate this conversation because, like I said, I think about my mom and how she and her radicalness and her revolutionary liberatory politics believes that, you know, not I don't think she would call it harm reduction, but at the same time, she sees potential and value. Actually, I don't like the phrase harm reduction, personally, um, in terms of how we vote. I think that we do need to have a discussion and conversation about what does it mean to engage in strategic electoral politics, what is electoral organizing, with the strategy of elevating particular candidates and issues to achieve our common enunciated goals. Right. I'm not talking about just rah rah to make sure that Democrats maintain power, because as many of us know, when we're coming up in the, your Chicago's, your Atlanta's, your New York's and your Phillies, your Baltimore's, et cetera. Democrats been in control for, for our entire life and the conditions of our people are not changing. However, I submit that we have not consistently had an effort since gaining access to the ballot that looked at building, you know, collective uh, independent black political power in this way that exists outside of these machines. We, those of us who have been in politics since we got access to the ballot, since we've been able to run for office in more recent times, more the more modern era, you know, did so within the confines, the constraints and the limitations of predominantly of the Democratic Party as it exists. Um, I don't know that an inside-outside strategy long-term would actually work, but I do submit that just leveraging the ballot access to be able to be on the ballot, to be able to radicalize, you know, to, 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 to rally up the base of supporters, the coalition, right, to build in community for a common goal. Now, this is, you know, commonly we've seen people utilize a people's assembly type process, We've seen, you know, this type of this idea of municipalism, which is something I'm really interested in and would love to do some more conversations and dig deeper around. But that's where I see value in voting. I, I also see, you know, the presidential cycle. I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Eddie Gloud talked about blanking out, you know, that line and thinking about the way in which we leverage and aim our voting power. Um, and, and I think that we need, I mean, his book, Democracy in Black, and I think we need to talk about these conversations. I think we need to have these conversations. I think we need to talk through these things and really look at how we're strategically using and leveraging our vote, because a lot of times we don't. We have a lot of people out here who are struggling or don't see the value in any of this stuff because there never has been a real consistent, I'm not going to say there, it's never happened, the consistency, right, over time on a large scale has not happened across the board beyond maybe a small particular community group or a particular district. But we gotta start local, right? There can't be this top-down national approach. It has to start local. We could have duplicate anchor sites all over the place, maybe doing a similar thing as it fits their community. Um, Brother Kamal Franklin and I recently, you know, have talked about what does it look like to have political clubs and having people agitate, activate, organize, educate around particular issues 
and maybe even leveraging that to look at a, a city council seat, for example, right? Uh, or, 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 or there are these, there are so many different ways that we can do this. So I'm um, going to get into this conversation. You know, Deshaun and Q joined me. This was really, really great. It is Black Friday, number three. Like I said, I'm sitting here in Oakland. I've been traveling all day. I wanted to get you guys, get this to you guys this morning and didn't get a chance, but this is up right now. This is fresh, hot, new, coming straight. Yo, like, you know what I'm saying? Folks is all like, oh, Wakanda, the vote and stuff. Things like that is catchy, but like, we need to dig deep and we got to do the off-cycle work. And scratch that. We need to stop treating it like there's an on and off cycle. This ain't a washing machine. We always on. We going, going, going. Energize a bunny up in here, right? Like, so we need to figure out how to sustain for the long haul this type of electoral work and not just when it's six weeks before an election or when people are talking about, oh, you better vote because the ancestors died. My ancestors died fighting the vestiges of white supremacy and systemic racism and other forms of oppression in this country, one of which included denying us access to the ballot and the ability to exercise our right to vote. However, what we leave out of so much of that is looking at how do we organize politically, economically, socially on a sustained collective basis for the uplifting of, of all, and not just for select uh, uh, particular celebutant entities or individuals around us to elevate and rise, but to really truly break through the bounds of what is constraining us. Uh, does that mean organizing with a third party, building a new party, running independent, leveraging the ballot access, having something like the Work at Families Party does in New York in New York State? I don't know. But these are conversations we need to have about really getting on the ground and building with people in spaces where they are. Some of this is hard because a lot of what we may have already going on in our communities is C3 level work too. So maybe this organizing is issue-based, but even issue-based work is electoral because we're still trying to shift, agitate, and move people on issues through a process that someone ultimately is voting and making decisions on. Why should we not have a say in that process? So I'm going to put a pin in it right there. I'm going to connect my loves in so you can hear this great conversation we had. And, you know, I'm on the ground in Oakland. Tracy Corder, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's what she said. And be a hero of fame and, you know, cancel Kavanaugh. My sis is here in Oakland, too. I got, our, I got the whole squad here in Oakland. And I'm so, like elated to get busy and doing this work this weekend so y'all check this conversation out hit me up on twitter check me out you know what i'm saying on on twitter because we're gonna be on the move hopefully doing live streams and stuff all weekend we got this i mean we all we got go check out check out we built this um you know amy and sean are dope always gotta shout out people as much as i can remember them. and yo if y'all got a dollar or two i would plug my patreon you can find my Patreon, but go check out NGP Action. Give them a dollar or two or five or 50 if you have it, because it's real. We need people on the phones. We need people texting. We need people hustling hard because we got to get it passed. And it's not just about, you know, propping up Democrats in Georgia or anything like that. It's literally about building something better and then holding them to that promise of something better for our communities and being at the table to define what better looks like. 
So that's my Georgia plug for my for, for, for my squad over at NGP Action, New Georgia Project Action Fund, working with Working Families Party in Georgia, Black-led organizing. It's amazing and it's wonderful and it's beautiful. If you're not really feeling electoral politics directly in candidates like that, you could also go check out Atlanta Jobs with Justice. Uh, Shannon is amazing and the rest of the team over there are dope. Again, Black-led organizing. Amazing people doing amazing things. And my final plug is Project South. Because, yeah. Oh, and I'm out here in Oakland, so critical resistance as well. So there you go. So these are all entities that maybe, while some are directly engaged in electoral politics as we traditionally conceive it, others are engaging in other actions that still do require some portions of the strategies they're using to interface with the electoral system. So one way or another, we're still touching it. And there's a place for all of us and all the different strategies. We just got to figure out what works best for us. So check out this conversation with Deshaun and Q. Share, like, subscribe. I'm going to holler at y'all next week. Peace. So, um, so yeah, so I just want to talk to you too because, you know, there's all, it is the reason that it is, right? It's election time, midterm elections. You better vote for Democrats or so die. Um, and, and it's always an interesting space for me. I do electoral work full time, but I definitely resonate with a lot of what many folks are saying, you know, organizing. Uh, and when I say movement, I don't mean that squishy, feel-good, progressive white people movement space. Um, <laughs> like you thought I mean, right. like, like when, when, we, when we started talking about the real issues with electoral politics and what has electoral politics actually done, and the conversation or politics of whether or not that's actually going to bring about liberation, I mean, it's a very real conversation. It's a very real dialogue that we need to have. So both of you, a couple of days ago, had tweets that were like, yo, there are some strategic ways that voting can be utilized at the local level. However, and I was like, oh, my loves, they're both tweeting the same brilliant stuff. <laughs> and instead of continuing, like, I actually have time. <laughs> I was like, let me see if I can get both of you on at the same time to have this conversation to dig in and flush some of this out a little bit um, because you both express these points, I think, really well. And especially as there's so much pressure on black voters, on young voters, being black. Right. You both have really great perspective. So here we are. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for um, like allowing us to be a part of the conversation. I'm like always glad to talk about this shit because it makes people mad, especially liberals. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, uh, same, same on this side, though. I, I just wanted to say that. Same on this side. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. And it's not even just the white people that get mad, right? I had um, someone on a friend's post the other day get really mad at me. They're like, this is what happened because all those revolutionaries just stayed home in 2016. Not 50 years ago. So you're just supposed to know that you're just supposed to vote. I'm like, are you serious? So people are just, I mean, like, it's the job of campaign. It's a job, it's people's job to make the case for folks to vote for them. Right. So there, right. there, there are like a few different levels to this conversation, right? It's the, the, the fact that we are still two years now post 2016, and there's a large segment of the Democratic 
you know, base or population or whatever, however the breakdown, the, 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 the thought leaders or whatever they call themselves, that do right. admit that the Democratic Party, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, that entire, you know, cabal messed up. They messed up. Mm-hmm. They're, they're mm-hmm. intent on blaming the Green Party, the non-voters. I mean, really, the non-voters have been a huge target, right? Like those people who either chose to vote third party or people who just did not vote at all. And that was a really large group of people. You had, you had a large group of people, large group of black voters, decided there was nothing going on that was going to improve anything for them. So why waste my time? And, mm-hmm. and, and so there is this collective, it seems like there's this <coughs> mantra still now that we're trying to vote shame people. It's like, yeah, so that's not how this works. Um, nothing is changing anyway. So why do I even, you know, bother and get involved? However, you know, there, there are some arguments here and there, and I think you both kind of were laying it out. So I want to back up for a second and let you both introduce yourself to our audience, and then we can get into the conversation. Are you okay, going to go cool. first? I didn't know I was going to ask you the same. <laughs> Just go ahead. I'll yeah. go first. That's fine. Um, so I'm Deshaun Harrison. I am a writer, organizer. I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia. I uh, am a former student of Morehouse College, and um, now I just kind of travel the country and teach on a lot of a lot of different topics. Thanks. Dope. Um, so people just call me Q. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm an organizer with Free University here at Virginia Wealth at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, screenwriter on on the side, trying to be some, and uh, <laughs> you know, just co- communist. You know what I'm saying? Part time. So hopefully we can uh, discuss this topic. I really wanted to, to get into this. Thank you. I appreciate you both so much for joining me. Um, so I, I first met or ran across, interacted with Deshaun, I think it was maybe last summer. It was like June, 2017, maybe. There was this brilliant- Yeah, give or take. Yeah, around about then, there was this brilliant piece about um basically about uh white supremacy and blackface about black people who uh further white supremacy right and it was talking about our former mayor here in atlanta um he don't even get his name pronounced right i remember last time we were like that's Cassim. we ain't even gonna call him kasim (laughs) (laughs) ancestors don't appreciate him um and i forget what his isn't his first name like muhammad or something like that his first name is Kasim. I don't know. His middle his name is He has a really ethnic, like, yeah. other name, too. And I'm just sitting here like, yeah, he does. are not happy with you at all. Like, right. Um, like, the ancestors are not happy with you with nothing you're doing. But, you know, <laughs> this was like, it just said so much. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then we, 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 we were supposed to connect for an interview then just hectic and crazy so i'm so grateful we're talking now and q q and i talked what was it a couple of weeks back we did we did it we did a quick chopping it up around the nike you know um and this was right before the article came out about nike donating and its higher-ups donating more money to republicans than mm. in terms of its dollars so or, or in turn of how it's marketing not how it's spending its money right how it's making its money right um because social justice and black activism sells and, and here we are now right um this past since we are in the final 30 days to the midterm election cycles obviously we have you know quote unquote a lot at stake here in georgia but, but 
it's such a problem when people whittle it down to these election cycles and say we have a lot at stake as if we don't have a lot of stake or our communities don't have a lot of stake every single day in these these cycles um and no one's really not no one but but in terms of this electoral these political spaces people aren't really grappling with those issues and you guys were kind of breaking down so Deshaun, can you just talk to me just a little bit about like kind of like you know, it, I know it's not a singular conversation that you were that you were threading or having. It's an ongoing thing. But can you just talk to us a little bit about you know how you know making that distinction between yes, it can be used strategically in these ways. However, it fails us most for the most part, and and we need to be looking beyond this. Absolutely. So, um, one of like my organizing, I guess, like mantras has been to always show up for what the people in the community need in the moment or what they feel they need in the moment, right? As long as it's not um, like necessarily counterproductive or counter-revolutionary. So a lot of folks who I've organized with have always been like, you know, well, folks in the community feel that they need to vote and that they want to vote. And it's not necessarily a counter-revolutionary or like a counterproductive thing to do. So if it's what like the community needs or wants to feel like they are, um, to feel like they are I guess engaging in the, in the political process, then we should show up for that and also do political education to make sure that we're able to move beyond just like voting, right? So that's always been my politics as far as my organizing goes. Um, so I guess what I really was saying was what I really was trying to get at is that sometimes it can be strategic in that it voting has always since since we marched around it in the civil rights movement has always like gotten a lot of people to to turn out in our community a lot of folks who who cared enough to vote who who thought enough to engage in the political process in that way and so the strategy behind that to me is that when you get that many people motivated to engage in politics to engage in our political climate there is tons of work you can do from there um like with political education and with other forms of protest and with other forms of like um, direct actions and teachings that that can that can be done when people have been mobilized in that way. Um, so what I was speaking about the other day was people who were talking, who were pushing the idea that that change begins and ends with voting. My frustration with that is that a lot of folks are only willing to vote because, or rather not because, but that they're only willing to vote so that they don't have to engage politically any other way, or not even just engage politically, but just engage the community in other way. People will go to the polls on on November 6th and say, hey, um, I'm showing up for black people, but they don't think to ask their neighbors the next the next day how they're, how they're doing or how their day went. And people were confused by that. My, my point in that was like, mm-hmm. If you can't engage black folks, if you can't engage your everyday black person who you're saying you're showing up for, but you're going to the polls one day out of the out of the year, one day for a lot of people out of every two to four years to vote on quote unquote on our behalf, then you don't really care about who we are, what we need, or like what our material conditions, what our material conditions really are. So that was my frustration with that. And I think the strategy behind using voting as a tactic sometimes can be to mobilize folks in a way that you otherwise can't. Like specifically with um, older black folks who otherwise wouldn't really be engaged in like our, in our taking over the streets and stuff right. like that, or, um, or engaging like newer, like just turning 18 year old 
folks who are wanting to engage for the first time um, and getting them politically engaged in a way that they otherwise wouldn't be until maybe later on in life. I think that is a very strategic part of that. And I think also just thinking about it in terms of local, state, and national levels, like I think your municipal voting is really important, like voting for who your mayor is going to be or who's going to be taking care of like your district and stuff like that. That's really important, I think, because it's more direct. But when we're talking about, and I think that can be strategized in a different way, but when we're talking about national voting, I don't think that that, that strategy really matters in that regard because obviously a lot of folks campaigned for Hillary Clinton in 2016 and she got the popular vote and still didn't win. So um, I just think that strategy depends on the level of, of, of government we're voting for and also depends on like how exactly you want to move forward from there. Mm-hmm. 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 So same for you, because because what's cool was I don't and I don't even know that you guys necessarily had planned this, but I was watching simultaneously the tweets come up in my feed and I was like, oh snap, they're saying basically, you know, very similar, they're making very similar points. You know, a lot of like the older folks, I know they kind of look at all of us as just being lumped in, in one age group. None of us know nothing. We just all a bunch of little kids and we just need to just shut up and vote and, and get in line because that's what we died of. <laughs> right. But like even being older than y'all, right? Like I still like I have to step back. I'm like, oh, I like the way this is coming out. This makes sense. And because I, I, I do feel like that, that that was a very strong, you know, analysis in terms of the importance of local elections. Like we don't we as a society do not value the local or state level elections nearly as much as we do with the presidential cycle, right? There's a lot of pomp and circumstance and hoopla and everything is is all about these congressional races or these or the presidential races. But the but like you said, the the the, the decision making that directly impacts immediate impact on our life are mayors, city councils, school boards, district attorneys, like these lower level county commissioners. I'm learning so much more about some of these races now. There are like water reclamation districts and they're like sewage, whatever, whatever. Like there's all types of stuff out there. And we don't, these people usually end up running unopposed. They're long-term comments who've never been challenged. You know, they're just so much. So the, the political education, the organizing piece, it is so much more than just showing up in that general election to cast a ballot for someone who's probably crap because people didn't show up for the better person in the primary. But Q, same similar question about, you know, we have all this out here about vote, 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 vote or die. It's, 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 what, it's what we have to, it's what we died for. It's what our ancestors died mm-hmm. for, better vote or else. But there's this missing component there because voting, especially when we're talking about black communities, voting, we've been voting since the 60s, sadly. I mean, there are other folks depending on where in the country voting much longer. But voting itself has not changed anything. Um, right. So your thoughts? Uh, see, I feel like um, I feel like as organizers, we need to be constantly engaged in the struggle to like move past these platitudes. And I think that if you're meeting the people where they're at, and you're trying to show them that transformation is possible for their reality, the term, I'm sorry, the phrase, all we need to do is just vote, has never been it, and it will never be it. And by that, I mean that like, I think a lot of people don't really understand the context of the civil rights movement. And that's why I put that political education is such an, an, like a necessity in organizing spaces because people think that the civil rights movement, and I come from Robin D.G. Kelly's school of thought when it comes to this, 
Um, people think that the civil rights movement was this mass movement where everyone was fighting for this one specific goal of voting rights just to vote for Democratic candidates every four years in, in November. And I, we have to dispel this notion that the civil rights movement was this mass movement around voting only, when the fact of the matter is, is that the very groundwork for the civil rights movement was laid in the Northeast and in the Southern region of the United States by socialists, enclaves, and communists, uh, specifically farmers, people who were trying to collectivize land and collectivize profit to create societies that were independent from uh, the state apparatuses that were giving uh, white people land-grant colleges, things like that. So I think that a lot of people don't really necessarily understand that. So we're kind of peddling this Disney-fied Ava DuVernay version of what the civil rights movement is when it just comes to oh, well, Martin Luther King happened, Rosa Parks happened, and this all happened because we were just trying to vote for Democrats. If the only time that you are politically engaged is every four years in November, then you're not doing anything really serious about uh, leading for a uh, radical transformation of people's material conditions. What you're doing is you're just engaging in liberalism. And all that means to me is that you're not really serious about much anything else because if the only time you you actually care about black people, about queer people, about trans people, about the Supreme Court is when it's time to go to the polls every four years, I just have to laugh when people think that we're the ones who are reactionary for saying, I'm not going to vote for Kamala Harris, or I will not vote for Cory Booker, I, I will not vote for Elizabeth Warren. There are people who will call me you know, counter-revolutionary or fake revolutionary for doing that. And I think that the biggest contradiction of that is that I am not against voting at all. I think people don't really un understand that about me and people like me and Deshaun who use our vote as tactic and use it to strategize with the people in our circles and people within our communities. Um, Deshaun laid out some incredible, you know, things that I don't think we need to go over. But like you all said, there's things that even communists, people who believe that the United States shouldn't even exist <laughs> as it is, will do when it comes to voting in electoral politics. But the problem is that some people, a lot of people, are fed that electoral politics is all we have to do because our ancestors died or because grandma. First of all, all my ancestors, most of them from the civil rights movement, they lived until the age that, that they uh, died of, quote unquote, natural causes. So they didn't die for that. They were struggling for voting rights because I talk to my grandmother all the time and she's not a self-ascribed socialist. She's not a self-ascribed anything on the left in terms of, you know, radical transformation, I would think. But when I talk to her, she aligns with so many of the values of late Dr. Martin Luther King and Bayard Rustin when they were talking about things like actually transforming societies. And I think that what a lot of people really need to I guess you could say deal with and struggle with is the fact that if you look at the last 100 years for black life in America, just life in America in general, insurrections and direct actions have yielded more results than anything the ballot box has ever done for us. We didn't get freedom because uh, Frederick Douglass just appealed to the census of Abraham Lincoln. No, it was all these uprisings all these Nat Turners, all these Gabriel Proces, all these unheralded slave rebellions who rose up and said, look, we will continue to kill our masters and put pressure on, on the state. So 
it's it's just it's just funny to me how this conversation of voting happens, but then no one wants to make voting day a federally subsidized holiday for everybody where you get paid day off. I don't see the liberals talking about that. I don't see people talking about voter suppression. So I just have to laugh when we're fed this liberal idea of all we have to do is vote. No, you need to vote for things like propositions for rent control, vote for things like your mayor, vote for things like your DA, vote for things like your governor, if you actually believe it, you know, so if you actually believe what they're selling you, if you actually believe that there is something out there that's going to come from voting, don't just vote for war criminals because you feel like it's going to harm, reduce or whatever that that is. And I don't even believe in that. I believe in harm exportation when, when we're talking about the United States uh, highest office of presidency, because when people use use this whole idea, and this is where I even disagree with Angela Davis, where she'll say something like, we need to vote because Trump is the greater evil and it's harm reduction for us. As an internationalist, I completely reject those sentiments I, with all due respect, because harm reduction for who? It's not for the people in Honduras that Hillary Clinton destroyed. It's not for the people in Libya who Hillary Clinton destroyed. It's not for the people of North Korea who she will be escalating war with right now. It's not for people in, in the global South or in the margins of the globe. It's not. And I think that it's a very selfish American value and idea of all we need to do is worry about us because rev once revolution happens inside the accord, then it'll happen globally. Voting it needs to be used as a tactic. Use your vote in conjunction with organizing, whether it's on the ground and not to be ableist to people who are disabled. Um, if you can organize in any way, voting should be in conjunction with that. I appreciate that. That is like, even just thinking about the global, a global, you think you said internationalist perspective has been one that's been challenging for me because I'm just like, I don't really, I have not delved as much into international, just really paying attention to what's going on internationally, which unfortunately a lot of Americans are like that. Um, but I think what you were saying is just, just, just is really right on. And I appreciate the nuance, right? In your, in your, both of you all's comments about how it's not that we're saying just stay home, don't vote at all. Never, ever, ever, because there are those people, right? I'm out there and, you know, more power to them, no diss. Like, I feel like everybody needs to come to this however they need to come to this. We don't have compulsory voting. Um, we're not Australia, so, you know, there we are. But I do appreciate this conversation about how we need to be strategic, right? Um, we've talked about the need for electoral political organizing education, not just vote because the ancestors died for us to vote, but vote because this is a strategic way. And I was having this conversation with some folks when I think about it, I don't know that black folks as a large collective block have actually leveraged voting in a way that was strategic from the outset, from jump. Not, not saying that it's never happened. I think the Buy Anita campaign is one example where we saw organizers move in a very particular way. It wasn't vote Kim Fox, right? It was Buy Anita. So it, it served the default of giving Kim Fox the support but it was very targeted around getting rid of Anita Alvarez, who was the prosecutor, uh, the state's attorney at the time of the Laquan McDonald um, murder and subsequent cover-up um, along with Rahm Emanuel. So, so we do see these ways that people can leverage these tactics. I'm just thinking about as black people, like as a collective whole, you know, we, we vote for the Democrats because that's what we've been doing for 50 years, not because there's a real agenda set 
not because there's a real demand being made in exchange. It's just you vote that way because you vote that way. Whether it was we voted that way during, you know, the, the 94 crime bill or we vote that way because Obama was the best of us and was the first black president or we were, girl, I guess I'm with her in 2016 for those who were that because Trump was evil. But I appreciate the perspective and talking about the international component because that, because we are oftentimes so overwhelmed, I think, with domestic issues, we don't think about these other things outside of our scope. Um, and, and so how do we start shifting the conversation? I mean, obviously, you guys are already doing it. How do we start shifting the dialogue and conversation to start getting people to think about this strategic organizing? We're talking about liberation. We're talking about all these things that we need for our communities, but we're still not necessarily seeing consistently the strategic planning and organizing you know, at capacity, what that would look like scaled up to move this conversation along. I mean, yeah, we're going to still have the sheer blue uh, dim trolls heckling about, oh my God, you're the reason why Hillary lost uh, probably 50 years later. But, but how do we scale up and move these conversations along, you know, in a productive manner, organizing wise, to be able to really reach and, and, and build with people on these issues? So whichever one of you wants to I'm, I, I think I'm going to let Deshaun take, take this one first. Okay, that's cool. Um, <laughs> I just, I think the answer to me is that I think it, it depends on, on the community, right? Like, I think, it, I think it would change by communities that you're organizing in. Um, I know here in Atlanta, like with folks in Peoplestown and um, in the West End and other communities here, other historically black communities, a lot of us are really, really, really heavily focused on gentrification, right? Because our, our mayors have actively worked for years to gentrify these traditionally like black, historically black rather, um, communities. And so if our focus is on gentrification and we're out here, we're marching and we're doing, um, we're doing other direct actions, right? But then there is a specific um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a specific law they're trying to pass or a specific, like, um, what word am I looking for that I cannot think of? Sure. <laughs> there's, if, if there's, like, specific things that they're trying to pass in, in the communities, right, um, that would need for people to, to vote around that or would need people, like, to, to engage outside of just direct action and stuff like that, I think that is the thing that we have to consider. I think those are the things that we have to really think about in terms of um, strategically organizing around the issue of gentrification. But I also wanted to add really, like, really quickly that in 2016, during the national election, I was one of the people who did not vote. And I stand firm in that um, because I don't think that there is I think my, my, I don't think my views do align completely with, with cues in that I don't think that anyone that we vote for when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to America and, and, and our presidency is going to make a difference because at the end of the day, America is an empire. It is the empire. And so if we're, if we're talking about voting in, in that way, I don't, I don't think that there is a, a way to change that narrative. I think the only narrative around that is that there needs to be a complete like divestment from voting in national in, in national politics period but i think that when it comes to when it comes to until there is like a, a complete dismantling of 
the two-party system and so forth and so on until we actually have an actual democracy. Um, I think that if we're, if we're talking about voting on a local and state level and, and talking about changing the conversation around that, I think it really has to come from the fact that people have to feel that there is someone actually looking out for them. I think, Anoa, you can attest to this in that, like, for Stacey Abrams, a lot of folks are looking forward to voting for her, not because she, not just because she's a black woman, or just because they're tired of having white men run Georgia, but because of the fact that she has, in a lot of ways, shown that she is willing to, to be there for black folks, in a, in a way that Keisha Lance Bottoms did not do, right? Like, Keisha, to, to me and to a lot of organizers here in Atlanta, has always been on um, on a side opposite of those of us who are organizing against gentrification and, and police brutality and other issues like that. Whereas Stacey Abrams has, has always had, not always, but has always been better about um, her specific positions. And I think that when it comes to stuff like that, that's how we change conversations. And if, and if there is nobody who really we think is going to be um, willing to, to, I guess, advocate for us and be, and be on the side of those who are who are most marginalized and who are who are most oppressed, there really isn't a way to shift that conversation. And and, and if we're going to talk about shifting the conversation, I think again going back to what Keila said and what you've said and what so many of us have said, I think it goes to realizing that folks are going to have to engage in in other ways that exist outside of voting politics and, and electoral politics. Hmm. I, I actually want to pick, pick right up on, on that point because uh, recently, I think it was either yesterday, if it wasn't yesterday, then I think it might have been today sometime, probably in the morning time, um, when they did the climate report uh, mm-hmm. surrounding climate change and talking about the some of the top scientists in the world came out and explicitly said that in few in few words, Sparks Notes version, this capitalism stuff has to go. Um, that the planet is dying and that by 2030 we will see catastrophic damage begin to occur around the world and this is all because of multinational corporations this is all because of oil companies this is all because of fracking companies drilling in the ocean we 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 know these causes but see this is my thing is that one thing that is very much so used and very cliche now but it still rings true for me because i'm a stand uh, and when Angela Davis says that to be radical is to just grasp something at at the root, that's that's the truest thing that I think contradicts people who say all we have to do is vote, because voting is not grabbing something at the root. Voting is to be done in in conjunction. To directly answer your question and tie back in with with my uh, climate change thing and related to voting, is that we can't vote climate change out of office. We're not going to be able to to do that. And I think that people need to understand that our children and the children of this world and the people on this planet right now are going to see catastrophic damage happen. But how is that going to be stopped? It can be reversed and it can be quelled to some degree, these scientists say, but there's still going to be some kind of damage and there's still going to be some kind of uh, irreversible effect that affects people that is probably going to be in the global south. You see just an earthquake happen in Haiti. The Caribbean is constantly hit by 
these natural disasters that aren't so natural because even when Cuba is hit, they still find a way to evacuate all their people. But it's only in these, and I'm not saying that Cuba is not majority black, but Haiti is not a self-prescribed or even an economic uh, realm, a socialist country. So it's very much exposed because it is essentially just like a puppet for the United States to export all their resources from via imperialism. So the reason why I'm trying to tie this climate change thing in with voting is because what happens when this stuff starts to happen in terms of, you know, the effects. And in 2030, where all we're talking about is, see, we y'all should have voted because then Hillary would have reversed. Hillary was a fracking person just like Trump is. So what is the what is the goal here? There has to be some type of way to shift the conversation from all we need to do is vote to all we need to do is occupy this building or all we don't all we need to do is vote going from that to all we need to do is take over this office where the, where, where this person who makes XYZ decisions is there. All we need to do is vote, take that, scratch that and take it to all we need to do is meet the needs of our people. Meeting the, meeting the material needs of the people that you organize for and with is organizing one-on-one. And I think that the only way to change the conversation is to have conversation with your people. I think that a lot of the time, we don't really understand just how powerful uh, a meeting of the minds can be, how powerful like collectivizing thought can be when you sit down in a circle of people and be like, yo, what do we need? How do we get that? And then extend, explain the contradictions of answers and then talking through and struggling through solutions that might have complication for certain people. So if we say that, for example, if relating this to the whole climate change thing, if we say that, man, all we need to do is vote for Andrew Gillum in Florida because Andrew Gillum is against so-and-so fracking company or whatever, right? And then Andrew Gillum gets in there and he realizes that the bureaucracy and the corporate cash is too much to take on. And everyone's going to look at Andrew Gillum and say, well, he tried. But no, dude, the damage is still about to happen. And there has to be something other than just Andrew Gillum going in there and trying to make a, a bunch of phone calls to stop this. The people on the ground, the people that can, the people that are able to do so, need to be able to mobilize in a way, not only just in conversation, but physically. I think a lot of socialists, a lot of communists, a lot of progressives, a lot of whatever leftists you want to call yourself have disillusioned themselves with this reality where a peaceful revolution is just going to happen and the ruling class is going to relinquish the means of production. They're going to relinquish all their cash. They're going to relinquish all their assets and they're going to relinquish their vice grip they have on this globe. And that is just not going to happen at the ballot box. And you have to relate that back to every slave revolt. You have to, you have to relate that back to every direct action in the last 100 years as it relates to the relinquishing of power. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a really good point. And, and I, think, I think, you know, Deshaun brought up, you know, Stacey Abrams. Obviously, we're right here in Atlanta. We have this crooked ass Secretary of State running for governor who has I don't know, like, like purged like over a million voters in the past several years and um, lost the or made public the personal information of over six million registered voters and all types of craziness going on. But 
The thing about Stacey, you're right. The thing about Stacey that's happened increasingly since she first announces that the, 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 I think there's like internal accountability from the supporters, right? Like she has been pushed. We talk about pushing people to stand on issues. And I think what we're seeing here, um, you know, happening with Stacey and with the election here in Georgia is that we're seeing organizations like Center for Popular Democracy. Like I remember the first moment I listened to her speak and I heard her using a phrase from one of their reports, freedom to thrive. Right now, people might think, oh, that's not a big deal. But like I'm seeing the policy, I'm seeing the organizing work really seep in, not just into her message, but how like they're mobilizing, what they're doing. Like I, I was there at an event at the offices um, in Kirkwood when they were having a conversation with immigration advocates and activists and organizers and community members from across the state at a time when the D.C. consultant class was like, shh. Don't talk about that. That's that's not going to win you votes. But so she's she's shown at numerous junctures that and the sister has never publicly denounced me for shutting down her opponent last summer. <laughs> so she gets mad respect for me for that as well. <laughs> so like, you know, um, so so, yeah. So, I mean, no politician, no one running for these seats is ever going to be uh, 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 perfect. And I think, Q, your point about the bureaucracy once they get in there is a good one. One thing that I've continued to say to folks, and Inse uh, Ufat, who's from um, the executive director of the New Georgia Project, has said this very well, too, is like, yes, Stacey's our girl all day, but we will be right there. You know, we're here right now holding the line on these issues, you know, but we're going to be there once she's elected, still holding her accountable on these issues. And that's this problem, I think, too, the other side of people in the voting. It's like, oh, we'll hold them accountable once they get in, right? We just need to support them, be bad about them now. And that is the wrong way to do things. Like, we have to build in simultaneous critique and accountability in whatever process it is we're saying needs to exist, in addition to holding them accountable once they're already in office, right? Because one of two things either happens. Either we just give our support and we, the euphemistic we, give our support to a candidate. This happened with Obama. We turn up and get behind someone and we just go, go, just go hard in the paint for that person so they win. And then it's like, oh, they won. We'll trust them to just do what they're supposed to do. And then eight years go by and we're super disappointed with the, with the outcome, right? Um, because no one yeah. demanded accountability or few people demanded accountability. Absolutely. Or we say... Right. And the example that Q gave about, you know, the fracking and the bureaucracy, well, we're going to support them now. We're not going to challenge them. We're going to support them now and we're going to wait until later and then we'll, we'll, we'll try to hold them accountable. And that's really hard. Like, I think part of the reason why even the few little things that people have been able to get Keisha to do so far, going back to our mayor here in Atlanta, was because of, you know, that push during the runoff of her and Mary Norwood. I mean, even, even though there's still the glaring issues, like you mentioned, Deshaun, with, 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 with the gentrification, I mean, we have the Gulch issue right now, too, happening in Atlanta. Even though there are these glaring issues still going on, I do think the few little, the little bit, like the cash bail, you know, she gets credit for the cash bail and, and, and then not cooperating with ICE, but that was collective coordinated activism and organizing that had been happening before she even went into that office, right? And people never let up. People didn't say, oh, let's just support her and see what she does. Like there was, there, there were demands were made of Kasim. The demands were made before she even took that office and people did Absolutely. not until, you know, people haven't let up and people are very much about holding her accountable. So I think that when we look at like that as right. a model, 
we need to see that more across the board and not just, oh, if we, if we, if we attack people, it's going to ruin their chances. If we make people answer hard questions and no one's going to vote for them. I mean, that might make the rest of rest of folks who don't show up for these election cycles, people might sit up and notice if you actually have someone talking about something like my daughter, right. Bullworth, because she's because because it gets to that point, like in the movie Bullworth, right? Like he all of a sudden, but he, he's like, and he has insomnia. He's been hanging out in the hood and he's been drinking and stuff, whatever. And he's like real lucid. And he's just saying like, what's real? And people are like, hey, and he starts doing better in the polls. Right. Like, right like when people are really about it then maybe folks might decide to come go stand in line for you i don't know what do you guys think um i think i think that oh sorry yeah please 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 go no 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 no, no. please go ahead (laughs) okay okay um i think that you know i want to i think that there's so many points to make but all right i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with this one I think that we need to experiment with strategy. I think that people don't realize that organizing is a lot of trial and error, even though there's so much theory out there to pull from, to go off of, you know, I can regurgitate, you know, 10 pages of George Jackson right now, but sometimes George Jackson's words, as great as they are, might not be politically feasible in the moment or, you know, whoever insert scholar here. Um, But I do think that there are certain tactics that like we can do that do make sense in the long run. It just has to be on the organizer. And this is why, this is, a, this is one point that I also want to make as an offshoot, is that when I see liberals um, getting larger movements or, you know, garnering larger attention, a part of me just, you know, chucks that to the, the game of, you know, how liberals will always be in the pockets of you know, big corporations, big money, uh, advertisers, you know, saying companies and distribution guys who, you know, put money behind them to boost their messages. I also want, like, the other part of me also looks at that and says, you know, that's a failure on my part and our part. How how can they get this many people to go register to vote at this one event, but I can't get people to come to this meeting about how Jackson Ward, a, a neighborhood right on the edge of Virginia Commonwealth, is being gentrified? How come I can't get them to do that? And I, and I do look at those as small personal failures on my end. So when I propose things like, what if black people, what if like, what if just the 80% of black people in the United States said, we're not going to vote in 2020? Like what, what would happen? Because I think you all can answer this question of, there are people who've been houseless under Clinton, the same people who've been houseless under, you know, Bush, the same people who've been houseless under Obama. Their change has never come, regardless of what black people did at the at the ballot box. It didn't matter. There have been homeless LGBTQ youth who have been homeless under Obama and they're still homeless under Trump. So it doesn't really matter to them because that's a failure on my part if I can't reach that person, if we can't collectivize those people and centralize power around those people. And if anyone's confused, essentially what I'm just trying to say in very few words is that we need to experiment with different strategies that people don't think are politically feasible. I talked about how some things aren't, but I think that we give, we sell ourselves short of what if we went every time, you know, people make fun of DSA for this, but I actually do like the tactic of yelling people out of a restaurant because it's funny to me, a one and two, what if we did that 
to just pause. What if we did that to people, even if there wasn't a Kavanaugh that was about to be confirmed? What if we did that when they just passed Proposition A or something and it, and it, and it harmed X, Y, Z? What if we did that for, for every time? What if black people said, we're not voting in this election? What if black people said, look, we will not vote for you. We have this many signatures. We will not vote for you if you don't do such and such for this county. Those type of things put fear in politicians because at the end of the day, in the United United States, I would say the overwhelming majority of politicians do not view this as a civic duty that is looked to enrich the lives of their constituents. They do this for a career. So if you threaten their bottom line, if you threaten their paychecks, if you threaten their, you know, political lives in terms of being able to hold office and being able, able to, you know, have a D or an R by their name, those things can strike fear into people. And I think that direct actions like that and organizing strategies, such as I said, can be a very transformative thing that I don't think Black people and just people in general who care enough. I don't think we've examined it fully, or if we have, it hasn't been done in a way that I think is effective enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And I think, I think that the thing, you know, even talking to some of the women who were talking about the bird dogging tactic and stuff like that, I think you're right. Like if we, if we did have folks who were willing to scramble and not just when it was like these really huge major battles that the news cycle told us were huge major battles, but we were really like, you know, but then we, we would be like shutting down their offices in DC, like all the time, which some folks might say that's not too bad, but you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely do think that we need to move beyond the outrage cycle as it has existed in liberal politics and really look at what does it take to actually change, not just the narrative, but really like you, like I think both of you have mentioned this, you know, in this conversation, changing the material conditions of people's lives. Like, what does that look like? But we can't do that with the existing system that we have, because even as everyone was excited last, what was it last week about Amazon, the $15 an hour? Oh my gosh. But really what Amazon did was, yeah, people were going to get $15 an hour by 2020, and that's by 2020, right? But, like, they're taking away stock options and other benefits that employees already had as a trade-off. And that's not, that's not what people are fighting for. We're not fighting for an either-or scenario. We're fighting to get what we already got and some, right? We're fighting to move people along further, not, in some instances, possibly setting them back further. So, um, farther. So, it's really interesting when thinking about this conversation about voting, and I really appreciate you all both for taking the time to talk more about strategically what this looks like, how do we work this into our activism and organizing, and, and, and what is it looking to build, not just a new conversation, but, but, but really a new plan or strategy moving forward. And so, Deshaun, I'm going back to you real quickly. When thinking about, like, People's Town and some of the things that are going on right now, the West End, like, it's amazing. Like, I think back to my mm-hmm. moved here 20 years ago. And I look at Oakland City and the West End now. Oakland City, not as bad, but West End, definitely. Um, right. Or, you know, I mean, so much of what's old Atlanta doesn't really, there is no old, like Atlanta is becoming less and less Atlanta and more and more. Absolutely. 
high rises in condos. One of the things I talked about with Kamal Franklin was we talked about the idea of creating like political clubs to kind of start strategically. What does it look like if we have this one area, right? And then we target like this one city council person, a particular vote. I mean, this is something I know people are trying to do in a way around the Gulch vote with the city council folks who are in favor of it, you know, trying to organize people around targeting them to get them to change their vote. Right. What would it look like to build that capacity at that really local, that, that, that hyper local level? And I don't know, I assume you both would agree, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, that, that if we were starting to focus on a very hyper-local way in terms of this organizing, that that would be, you know, a useful foray if we were going to talk about electoral engagement in politics versus what we traditionally see as everyone has to put their bodies on the line for these large political national conversations and votes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely agree with that. Um, and I, I think my answer is going to be kind of long, but I'm going to, I'm going to make it as short as possible. Um, so first, I, I, I want to say, yes, I agree completely. And that's been like uh, another political, I guess, rule for myself and the folks I organize with here in Atlanta, is that our focus is, is what's happening locally. Um, when, we, when we organize, of course, again, responding to the needs of the community. So back when Philanico Steele and um, Austin Sterling were murdered, in 2016, the summer of 2016, um, we there was like a really big 10 day, um, 10 days of unrest here in Atlanta, and that was because we were responding to a community need where folks had just, feel, folks had felt really tired and fed up, right, and wanted to respond. But for the most part, a lot of organizing that we've done around police brutality and around gentrification and around sexual assault and other things like that have all been specific to Atlanta or or like Cobb County and like the out the outskirts of Atlanta. Right, um, and I think that has that has been our biggest focus, and it has been what what works best for us because when we focus when we focus on a on a national level, or when we put rather our entire focus on a national level, what we oftentimes do is we neglect those who are living around us because everyone has their eyes on what's happening nationally, and no one really has their eyes on what is happening locally. Right, so a lot of I, I know some people use this this. Um, phrase and i love it a lot where they say think globally but act locally and i think that is come on now that has been my mantra for the longest right where like our focus should be on what's happening around the globe what's happening not just with america what's happening around the globe but also acting locally because that is what gets us to this i i think of revolution in in terms of steps i think that's what that's what gets us to this next step towards revolution right um and so to answer your question in terms of like what it would look like with people's town and like and having a specific club organization that that organizes around that what i really think of it as is a coalition which atlanta does have um so back in 2016 after again philanical steel and austin sterling were murdered um my friends and i started an organization post um unrest called atl is ready it was a nonprofit, and, and we lasted for a few years, and we're going now through the ending stages because I think it's run its course. But what it did was we created a coalition out of that where we worked with the Housing Justice League, and we worked with other organizations through um, religion, other organizations that worked around environmental justice, other organizations that worked around police brutality, housing justice, um, working with Black Lives Matter, just working with several different organizations and people who who um 
worked around specific issues to build a coalition that worked that worked specifically around or or rather was centering black folks but worked to to dismantle or or to combat the specific oppressions and marginalizations that was happening here in Atlanta. And so I think the the answer to your question is that coalition building is not only is it possible but it's necessary. Um, and I think when we start working towards a coalition, we work when we start working towards building with with folks in our communities who organize around these issues is when we can start working towards revolution. I, Q and I agree on this, I know for a fact, because we've talked about it online a lot and offline. Um, but a lot of folks think that coalition building is either counterproductive or not um, not worth it or not possible. And I absolutely disagree. I think I think it's not only a historical thought, but it's also a counter-revolutionary thought in that folks who came before us, like the Black Panthers and and like other folks who, who worked, uh, like the Black Liberation Party and other folks who worked around, um, specifically like other communists, have always built coalition with non-Black folks, with other Black folks and other organizations, and even with folks who we recognize now as Black liberals, who we, who we know need a, a specific push to be radicalized, right? And I think that is what's most important in our work is that specifically, again, taking it back to People's Town, where Everyone in people's side is not trying to, is, is not necessarily a communist, right? Not not all of them are going to are are thinking of themselves as a socialist. What they are thinking of is that they want to have food and they want to have steady housing and they want to have a job. They want to be able to sustain themselves, especially under capitalism. And so if this is the case, then I have to take my communist values into these spaces where my people, my folks who I'm in community with are in need of some sort of tactic, some sort of of guide towards liberation and and not guide as in like we're we're leading the people by ourselves but guide in that we have to be like arm in arm we have to be together and working towards uh, a, a more tangible um solution to towards liberation and so what i'm really saying is that if we are talking about building coalition i think what we have to really talk about is that Sometimes it means being in spaces where things are not are not easy, right? Like where where people don't people don't bring the same amount of understanding to a space, but we have to be willing to give that to other people to make sure that we're all operating on on a specific level of understanding. Um, and I think that coalition building and 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 building spaces that that work towards liberation for all of us is it's something that has happened here in Atlanta. It's something that is happening here in Atlanta. The coalition is literally what we call it. Um, it is a group that that started several years back with Georgia State students and um, again, Housing Justice League and ACL is Ready and other uh, tons of other organizations that built an entire coalition that was specific to that was specifically meant to organize around our issues. And I think that. Really, if, if we're looking for like a guideline, we're looking for or a blueprint rather, people's town community, Mechanicsville, and other like historically black communities West End are all like perfect examples of how exactly that gets done because community members from each of these historically black communities have all said, I am not, I'm not here just by realize that I have to work with other people around me to make sure that that 
if I want to sustain myself, if I want to have sustainable housing, if I want to have um, affordable housing or food and, and water and like my necessities, I have to work with other people around me and therefore I can't just be the person who goes to work and, and, and comes back home and does nothing else, which for some people is how they sustain themselves and that's okay. But for others, I think that has been the, the, the guide for all of us. So I think, I don't know if you know her name, Noah, but like I'm thinking of Ms. Sharice or I'm thinking of Allison, all these folks who work with Housing Justice League and who work with other organizations here in Atlanta who have really committed themselves to this work, um, to, to committed themselves to building coalition and committed themselves to making sure that if we're, if we're working to push Keisha Lance Bottoms or we're working to, um, to vote in Stacey Abrams or we're working to push out Kasim Reed or <laughs> Kasim Reed, um, <laughs> then these are, these are the ways that we do it and this is how it's done and it's always done by folks who exist in the community. Mm. I know, right? Like, what else can you say after that? Like, <laughs> but, but I really appreciate that because that really is a practical, practical simultaneous I mean, way of talking about building capacity, trying to maintain and hold on, right? To, 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 to holding ground right now as we literally have the city council trying to vote on legis on, 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 a, on the gulch, on the gulch that would, that would yeah. not only like, you know, and it's not just it's not just here. It's all over the country that we see this happening in major, not just major cities, like like just, just shifting gears slightly to affordable housing for a moment, and then also similarly, you know, chronically unhoused individuals or you know homelessness. Like this is happening everywhere, and we talk about it in the context of major urban metropolitan areas, but it's a it's an issue affecting you know county and rural communities as well, and it's. Mm -hmm to me that when I was doing in doing you know the past few months the work that I've been doing when I've been talking to candidates who are not in traditional large metropolitan areas and that's still uh, affordable housing you know housing affordability some variation of that and some variation of something along the lines of economic justice is a major concern for communities across the board right and so this battle that we're talking about here and we keep telling people like no it's okay you got to vote dim no matter what especially when we're talking about black communities and and, and and we are talking about urban areas we've been voting democrat for the last however many decades right i mean that's one things like when keisha was running it was keep atlanta black we haven't had a republican mayor in however many decades or generations or whatever but what does that really right. mean it reminds me of douglas's to what what does the 4th of July mean to the Negro? It's the same type of thing, right? What does it mean to vote Democrat? What does it mean to keep black mayors if this is the, this is the piece I owe you, right? <laughs> mm. What does it mean, though, when we're still not seeing the actual measurable impact, change, success, whatever that word, whatever that phrase is, we're not seeing that translated for our actual community, right? When, when I can go and look mm -hmm. at schools, that like the school I went to in Chicago in sixth grade, right when we first moved to Chicago, uh, has been turned around and flipped over, whatever they call it. When I look at the schools that we once went to in the 90s that are now have been, they've pushed out the students and the families. Like we're looking at what's happening in our communities and like, you know, crazy thing. I didn't even know Daly was a Democrat. Like for the, I had no uh. 
until you know recent years as an adult i said oh really and daily was mayor when i was a kid growing up had no clue because you know you're taught that things happen a certain way or whatever and certain people do certain things when we look at the local level we look at places like detroit we look at baltimore i mean baltimore dc we look at these places that have black mayors that have black leadership and they're still among you know the places that are the hardest and the most detrimental for black families and overall black success, not just a certain echelon of black folks getting success and access, right? So when we're thinking about voting, we're thinking about the strategic, you know, leveraging and work, I appreciate the example that you gave about what's happening here in Atlanta, because I really do think that the work that's been happening, that even started happening before the most recent mayoral election, um, really has been a combination of that that ongoing activism and organizing as well as how do we leverage and build capacity and effect in, in these different cycles so yeah i think i think if i think if i could just get one last thing i actually wanted to yeah. close this the first time one last thing is that i think that we need people doing many things and this is not any type of deep uh, you know, sentence I'm about to say, or diatribe, is just, we need people doing various things, holding many hats, wearing many hats, and holding spaces for different things that need to happen. If there are people who are organizing around prison, we need everyone to kind of centralize and within the same stratosphere of ideas. If we have people that are organizing around student debt, we need that same energy that the people in who are organizing around prison, we need them to link up. And I think that Deshaun brings up this incredible point of not only coalitions and solidarity, it's just that I think a lot of people don't really get that coalitions and solidarity are not always harmonious and they're not always people holding hands, singing songs around the campfire. There's going to be a lot of screaming. There's going to be a lot of banging heads. There's going to be a lot of, you know, a balled up fist. But at the end of the day, the goal should always be transformation. So if we're posing this and just posing this with um, local organizing and local voting, we need to keep in mind that even during the civil rights movement and even during all of these, you know, black liberation moments of, you know, of resistance and struggle, there were still people who were working with like people that we would ascribe the term probably being a liberal or being, you know, an establishment. There are people who are working with those people because without them, they need, they couldn't get certain things to make their goals easier. So if we're organizing around affordable housing, it makes sense to vote if you're in California for a rent control proposition because you can't be a revolutionary and expect to, you know, sustain your workload level if you ain't got no house, you know what I'm saying? And you're constantly moving all over the place. You can't exert the same energy if you had a stable uh, working conditions and living conditions. So there's propositions and there's certain direct ballot initiatives that just make sense when it comes to voting. I've already said that. But I think that when we're dealing with coalitions around these issues, we don't need consistent, I guess you could say, synergy on every single point. Because like like Deshaun said, if I'm a communist, I go into a space and saying that, hey, I want to strip the CEO of all their profits and dis distribute it amongst the masses. 
and nationalize all these industries and nationalize his assets. There's going to be people in that room who are just, you know, DSA bros who are just like, yo, dude, I'm just here to vote for this proposition. And it's just like, all right, I can't really get mad at that. But the thing is, though, is that at that moment, it's on me to expose the contradictions. And it's on me to bring up these points of where, where, where our ideologies end and where they meet can be actually used in conjunction with this local organizing. And it can be used in conjunction with local voting if it makes our organizing efforts easier. You know what I'm saying? Don't be counterproductive just giving out your vote to anybody. You know, our ancestors didn't scrape, struggle, and, you know, die for you to vote for war criminals. They didn't vote for you. They didn't, you know, do all that just so you could give your vote to anybody with a D besides their name. And I think that the last example that I, I want to bring up of people doing multiple things is that even when Stokely Carmichael left SNCC in the fall of 1965, uh, Martin Luther King, Bayard Rustin, and many other ascribed socialists and communists who were trying to, you know, keep that label kind of hidden from, you know, the establishment, they came up with the freedom budget. And the freedom budget was $185 billion pr proposed dollars over 10 years that was trying to guarantee housing, guarantee education, guarantee health care, and end the wars uh, in Vietnam. And this was a 10-year plan that they were opposing to people in office like, I think, I think this is Kennedy at the time. I'm not sure if he got killed by then. I think, I think he might have died by then. But if not, it's either Kennedy or, or Johnson. Uh, the president of the United States, he was, they, they were posing that question for that. But meanwhile, Martin Luther King at this time is actually laying the groundwork for what would be his last endeavor of trying to organize the poor people's march. So you see that in tandem, you have working within and working outside of. I don't have a problem with people who are invested in electoral politics or coalesce with people who are within the electoral process. I do have a problem is when people use that as the end all be all. And the freedom budget is actually a really good example because it's such a rich history of people like Beard Rustin, Martin Luther King, and so many others who, if you ask them individually what they could do, they would probably say so many different opinions of, I want this, I want that, I want this. But they were able to centralize around certain ideas and in tandem, find ways to coalesce with people outside of their ideological barriers. And I don't think that that's counter-revolutionary. I think that that's using contradictions to your advantage. And I think that as organizers, whether it be locally or nationally, we need to be exposing and working with the contradictions that, that appear within our organizing spaces. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There it is. <laughs> there it is. Oh my there God, thank y'all both so much. Like, you know, folks be thinking they can't learn nothing from the young folks. Well, I think y'all done learned something today from this conversation. And I think we all have some reading um, to go look up in terms of the Freedom Budget and some other stuff. Uh, uh, really, really strong points. I appreciate you joining me for this conversation. Like, thank y'all for everything you put on it and more so. And I look forward to following up and having more conversations and chatting. And then, Deshaun, I know I owe you like two articles. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you two articles. Um, yeah, yeah. So eventually, I'm gonna get my act together. We gonna we gonna talk about what does it mean to be a what was it? One was about 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 being a chocolate city, or what does it be a black mecca for black people? 
or something like that. And then the other one mm-hmm. happened with just black women, how we, we actually can't trust all black women. But um, don't quote me on that. For the most part, your default should be to trust black women until they prove you wrong um, or until we show you otherwise. Uh, but anyway. I'm, I'm waiting and ready. <laughs> I know. I got to get it together. I got to get it together. But this is the of the way with Noah. I am so honored to have had these two guests with me tonight. I have thoroughly enjoyed my conversation. Y'all, definitely go hit them up on Twitter, but don't be harassed. You know what I say. Don't be harassing my people because I send you there to harass nobody. Uh, <laughs> deep breath before you respond. But I appreciate y'all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, anytime. Yes.